Welcome to Postwave. This is Eric, and I'm here with Trevor. And today we're going to be talking about uh, an episode on the Kyle Kingsbury podcast in which he interviews De- uh, Dr. Ted Achikoso. And uh, Dr. Ted is a fascinating individual, as as is evident in the podcast, where he is uh, actually literally one in a billion in terms of IQ. At the time he was tested, there were about four billion people on the planet, as Kyle describes, and there were four people with an equivalent IQ. So a uh, really brilliant guy, um, and he just kind of goes a mile a minute in this podcast. Uh, Kyle starts by asking like a question, and then... Uh, and then Ted talks for more than an hour about like everything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and so we were just going to try to break that beautiful slew of random ideas down and into something that is, uh, maybe hopefully a little bit more digestible. Although it's, it's, it's definitely like he's a very clear speaker and, uh, makes his points very eloquently it's just like a lot of tangentially connected ideas yeah kind of loosely centered around the brain and consciousness and psychedelics and the self and, and that kind of thing totally so a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that we like to think about here on post wave yeah yep also before we get into the episode here we just want to note that we talk about psychedelics quite a bit in this episode and just want to make the disclaimer that we do not necessarily endorse the use of psychedelics and that any use of psychedelics should be approached with great care and done only in legal settings. Yeah, and everyone should judge for themselves whether whether it's something they think they should do depending on their own kind of mental tendencies and that kind of thing. Definitely. Just a quick disclaimer that we're two musicians and composers who like to talk about a bunch of topics that are sometimes slightly beyond our wheelhouse. If we say anything that's factually incorrect, or even if you just disagree with us, we really love if you send us an email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know. How long have you been listening to this podcast, this particular show? Uh, this is the only episode I have listened to. Oh yeah. How did you, how did you find out about it? My friend Erica sent me this episode and said, you should check it out. Now, my friend Erica mm-hmm. is a yoga instructor here on Martha's Vineyard with her uh, yoga studio, Vineyard Vinyasa, centered in Eggertown. Um, and she is a really brilliant individual as well. And all of the themes that Dr. Ted speaks here speaks of here are... Uh, more or less along the same lines as the things that she has been saying in yoga class. You know, you, you're just like, okay, now go to downward facing dog, and then like, uh, and then like, uh, suffering is like just. Uh, wait, wait, let me let, let cut here so I can remember. Uh, yeah, cessation. The the cessation of suffering is done moment by moment 
not uh, across long time spans just uh, show up now and and do what you uh, do what you're doing every moment that kind of that kind of like almost like platitudes you know that seem like oh it's just like the same old uh, you know like a AA meeting platitudes like uh, happiness is not thinking about things it's like okay but <laughs> but there's something really magical that, that I think happens when you actually feel those and uh, and and see the truth in them yeah I didn't know that was a thing that they mentioned in AA meetings oh yeah I mean, I it's, mean it's it's <laughs> the idea that <laughs> it's also kind of the idea that if you if you focus on your suffering and are suffering because you're suffering, then you're not doing yourself any good, right? You kind of have to accept the suffering and accept that you, you maybe can't change it in the moment. And then accepting it is, is kind of the first step towards not experiencing it eventually. Totally. And Ted goes on to say, which is something that Erica has said many times in yoga class, which is that like, just asking you the question, what are the stories you're telling about yourself? Who are you and what are you like what 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 are the things that are true about this experience right now? And and Ted says, you know, it's all just stories. All all of the things we tell ourselves, all of our perspectives and all of our experiences of suffering it's just a story that we tell ourselves and if we can let go of the story then we can uh be free from the suffering yeah yeah we most of us i think have this internal narrative going on pretty much all the time where we're just thinking about our lives and ourselves and all the things we did wrong and all the ways in which we were wronged and you know what we could have done differently and and that is just a story and all you really have is the present moment and you're you're completely free to just move on from that potentially and just you know start over totally yeah 100 percent um ted says in the beginning of this podcast he says that we're all kind of locked into a diseased model of things um did you did you have a sense of like what he might have meant by that Mm, I mean, I think it has something to do with these kind of negative thought patterns that we, that we kind of inhabit almost unknowingly. Well, in most cases, I think completely unknowingly and we feel kind of powerless to change them and uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Right. We're kind of locked into a particular story about ourselves and, and maybe we are so locked in because we don't know that there is an experience outside of that. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with culture too. Like our, especially in America, we're not we're not really trained to to be maybe as reflective as we could be. We're mostly just kind of trained to be really productive and successful, and and that's kind of that's kind of more the focus than than kind of examining our own thought patterns and and trying to figure out what's actually useful and what's harmful. Totally, and and also on that point because. Um, I think it extends to the physical body as well. And in our culture, there's just so many things that are so fundamental and important to our experience that we just don't ever get educated on. So there's a complete dearth of knowledge. And I mean, it's like the knowledge is there. It's just that we don't uh, 
give it its due. You know, things like I just found out last week, for example, that a grown adult male needs about 70 grams of protein every day in order to not suffer muscle wasting and other uh, basically illnesses as a result mm -hmm. of not having enough protein, you know, and like ideally more than that. But uh, I've been skinny all my life. I've been, you know, tall, skinny people call me a weed. People call me a stick. Uh, skeleton. <laughs> a what? <laughs> skeleton. What's that? What's a skeleton? Oh, a skeleton. <laughs> yes. For some reason, I, I kept hearing gelatin. <laughs> it's a cross between gelatin and a guillotine. <laughs> it goes, it what, goes, whatever it that goes, means. it goes. It. Um, gelatin. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I've been skinny my whole life, and I've only just learned that that's because I've been malnutrit malnourished my entire life you know it's, it's simple things like that like getting the nutrients that you need are just so beyond the scope of you know what we learn in school what we learn from our parents yeah i mean uh i had to take a health class when i was in high school i mean i don't remember really much of it at all but did you have to take anything like that yeah i mean they had like the health class where they talk to you about stds and like you should eat this many calories and you should have uh, meat and you should have uh, vegetables and you know, just like, you know, not necessarily true things and definitely not compelling or like well understood. Yeah. I mean, nutrition as a science also is just way, way less developed than I think most people realize. I mean, it's part of the reason you see, you see so many contradictory studies coming out year after year about whether or not to eat certain things and how much of them to eat. Right. And I think that goes back to kind of our, that idea of being locked in a diseased model of things because the, the motivation isn't there. There's not, uh, at, at least on, on the part of the people doing the studies, it's not about how can we make people well, it's about how can we make money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For, for the most part. And it isn't, isn't Ted's, Cole, well, a lot of the focus of his, of his career is on rather than treating disease making sure people are kind of you know have the right nutrition happening and the right maybe the right supplements that kind of thing yeah absolutely. before you worry he, about he treating call, treating disease yeah absolutely he calls that health optimization yeah and you mentioned you mentioned yoga earlier i, I don't know i don't know how many people who do yoga or are aware of it know that it's it's as much about the mind as it, it's is it is about the body. Oh, it's entirely right. as much about the mind as it is about yeah. the body. <laughs> yeah. Part of yeah. uh part of it is, you know, inevitable that if you if you start doing the yoga you realize that there is no separation. The wellness of the body is one un one single entity uh with the wellness of the mind. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's very true. And, you know, like corroborated scientifically, you know, being well and well nourished is like good for your uh, brain, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of the times if you're maybe in a bad mood or something, it might just be because you're, you know, you haven't eaten or something. Totally. You haven't eaten right. 
Yeah, you haven't eaten right. I think that's the key thing. Or you haven't exercised well, or you have some. You know, like there's another thing. Like I, I recently learned uh, through through doing hot yoga and through the uh, edification uh, by Erica, my yoga teacher, that yes you do need to consume a ridiculous amount of salt and also of water. You know, if you, if you have just a shit ton of water, then the water just goes straight through you because you need uh, to keep the, the balance. You know, I've been drinking a gallon of water a day, but in order to do that, I need to eat a lot of salt as well. Otherwise, my body can't retain it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you need your electrolytes, right? I didn't know that that, that was why you needed them to... So I guess it's it's kind of like water retention. Yeah, I think it's related to that. Yeah, although I think maybe water retention might be a negative. It's usually used in a negative context. Maybe I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's just really complicated systems, mm-hmm. and I think so important to to have some understanding of. Totally, totally. Did you take note of? Uh, Ted's bio, you know, when he runs in like at age 16, I was graduating from college, that that kind of thing. I think he said he was 18, 18, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I think he said he was, yeah, he was a junior when he was 16 or something. Right. And like everything he went on to do afterward, he was like a a surgeon and traded. uh, And then he went on to like trade stocks with artificial intelligence for five years. And then he was a professor and. He did the uh, the health optimization things, mm-hmm. and he also worked on the the mathematics of consciousness. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he was like a basically like I, I don't know if he said a tenured professor, but you know, like a, a professor at age like twenty five. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like the part where he said he wished he did ayahuasca when he was thirteen. <laughs> like I, I I cannot imagine what that would do to a person. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like I have some sense of what that might do to a person just from like people I've interacted with. Um, but on a much uh, uh, more straightforward run-of-the-mill level, um, you know, just like knowing people who, when us good goody-two-shoe kids in high school were like, you know, not getting drunk, drunk and smoking me- weed... Uh, uh-huh. you know, it's like, I, I have many friends who, when they were in middle school, all the fucking time would be smoking weed and getting drunk, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't think my close friends were, but I'm, I'm sure I knew people who were and, and was just completely unaware of it. Mm-hmm. At least, at least in, at least in middle school, I'm, I'm sure way more people I knew in high school were, were doing it. Yeah. I've had a sense of just like that. A lot of people that I went to school with had much, much more rich experience of life through, you know, through middle school, through high school, college, um, because they didn't have this layer of removedness that I had. They were they were, they didn't have the sense of separation. They were just there in the life and unfiltered unrestrained just doing 
what they're doing. And so, yeah, it's going to lead them to doing things like getting drunk and, you know, getting in fights and doing risky stuff and like noisy, chaotic living. But on the other hand, like there's something really essential and pure to that as well that I, I have, I have envied in the past. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they, they weren't quite as, quite as software to their, to their benefit. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Do you remember later on in this talk, Ted is talking about like self-awareness and how that relates to consciousness? Yeah. And I think he said it, it, uh, consciousness might be, might be the result of us acting self-aware in social settings, right? Something like that. Yeah. 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 Well, he gave the example of like, if, if you want to induce self-consciousness or, or consciousness, just stare at someone longer than is socially acceptable, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, kind of a quip, but at, at the other side, you know, it makes me think of that thing that, uh, I introduced you to with, uh, staring into someone's eyes for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh it's quite the experience. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting experience. I've I've done it a few times, and it always leads to a uh, a sort of immediate sense of consciousness of shared with another person, which is what's so fascinating. But just like this uh, breaking down the shell of the normal, the the things we interact with on a day to day, and you know, just like allowing your eyes to take in the sight of someone's someone's face someone's eyes for that long like you start to see it in drastically different ways you know you're i don't know maybe the four minute mark or something and then suddenly like all these details just start popping up and like these lines in the face and you just see them and then maybe like they all start to click together and suddenly you have this visage of it's the same face but now you're seeing it all hyper detailed with like wrinkles, everything shown and all the asymmetries in stark detail. And then like all of a sudden that, that perception just like vanishes. And then you see them like perfect, uh, unity, like just, uh, symmetrical beautiful. And it's like all there, all there right now. <laughs> Wow, you've had that experience completely sober. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, it wasn't ten minutes, but we did do that kind of thing at one point when I was tripping like earlier this year, and and I remember it was a similar thing where like I started to notice like you know tiny wrinkles and stuff, and uh, and you know <laughs> they started to kind of do some strange things, uh, but I think yeah, the, the other times I've I've you know just looked into someone's eyes for that long i i try to notice that the self is, is an illusion and that that we're we're both essentially the same part of the same entity and there, there's actually no separation mm. between us it's just we're, we're we're the universe looking at itself you know totally yeah i think that's that's so valid and so when you say you try to perceive it that way do you feel like you are able to achieve that i i mean it's you know maybe for for like a few seconds or something mm -hmm. i mean well that this is this is kind of what what 
Dzogchen within within Buddhism teaches, and and we'll probably get to that more later. But it, it that that's the whole that's the whole practice of of trying to recognize the non-duality of consciousness right and right on the surface of awareness like people people talk about it as being there the whole time you're, you're just not aware of it it takes takes a lot of time and training to to realize that it's that it's there i do think i've i've i think i think i've gotten there at least briefly a, f- a few times mm-hmm. um, yeah it's so interesting because i think that goes back to the mentality of trying that's so prevalent in our western culture and sure if you try you can like get it it's like pulling teeth but you can get it but this is kind of going back to what i was saying with being uh envious of people who were less self-reflexive than i self-reflective than i Mm -hmm. because there's uh i think that kind of experience is just being tapped into that that knowledge without trying you know it is it, it's a truth that that's the how the universe is and if you try to achieve it that's uh, almost getting in the way and or at least you have to be in a state of separation from that truth in order to be in the place where you're trying to achieve it but if you don't even try and you just know that's how it is, then I think that's uh, like immediately all those people are in that state of consciousness. All those people meaning who? Anyone who is not thinking about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, one thing people definitely talk about is kind of along with the idea of, of this, this illusion of the self being right on the surface is is anytime you're in, in like a flow state or when you, even just when you're reading and you forget that you're reading, mm. you know, that, that, that is kind of the same thing. Time just seems to kind of disappear and, and you aren't thinking about yourself as a person. You're kind of, you're kind of just experiencing whatever you're experiencing. Definitely. Yeah. Let's, let's pivot back to, uh, earlier in Ted's talk here, Ted talk, uh, um, <laughs> Because he talks about the flow state in relation to the brain, mm-hmm. and he talks about these two different networks within the brain, right? Yeah, right. So you have your you have your default mode network, which is we think probably the, the seat of the self. It's it's what kind of becomes way less active when you take psychedelics or meditate or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the task positive network, right? Yeah, yeah, which is kind of kind of it includes something called the salience network, which which tries to figure out what what things you should be focusing on and what things you should ignore. Yeah, right. So you have your default mode network, which is just kind of like your it's it's like he uses the example when you wake up in the morning after you've had that moment of like just existence and you have the oh shit, I've got to get to work, I've got to do this and got to do that. You know, it's the, those steps, those like A then B and then C sort of uh equations that is the default mode network. Yeah, and I think he said that's also tied to your autobiographical sense of self, like your history as a person and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think that's that's inevitable, right? Because those things that we do repeatedly, that's what you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, you are your habits. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. And so then on the other hand, we have the task positive network, which is, you know, just sort of the opposite. So what did you think about this idea 
that the salience network, which uh, modulates switching between the two, uh, what did you think about the idea that that flip-flopping causes consciousness? I think it's interesting because he talks at the same time about how, how the self is an illusion, but there is this sense if, if consciousness really is the interplay between these two networks that there is, there is kind of a duality there, right? There is a, there, are, mm. there are two things that are, that are in an interplay and yeah, I just wonder if one is conscious of the other or if it's just the very mm. interplay that, that creates consciousness and, and you can't really say that either one is, is conscious without the, without the interplay. <laughs> wow. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, 100% on board with that. Uh, so, so what occurred to me though, is this flip-flopping as he describes it, that is facilitated by the salience network is going to go back and forth at irregular patterns, right? It's, it's not like a, a, a set pulse that, you know, after three seconds you switch back to the other one It's as necessary and as necessary depends on moment to moment, your experience, your input, your everything you're perceiving in this world. And so that means that that uh, flip-flopping between the two networks is a chaos pattern. That's really interesting. I mean, is, isn't it? It's a, it's a chaos pattern in the sense that the entire world is a chaos pattern because that's what's influencing it, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's tied to that, and it's like one hundred percent unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Would it, would it be unpredictable if you knew the exact situation that someone was going to be in? I suppose so. Although then that gets into the question: like, can you know such a thing about something that's in the present? Yeah, yeah, pr probably not for <laughs> for practical purposes. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you want to support us somehow, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can go follow us on Facebook or Instagram or visit us online at postwavepodcast.com or send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on pretty much everyone out there. Give us a nice review if you're on a platform that supports that or a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. One thing I thought was really interesting that he said, which I, I think I'd maybe heard before, but that in people who have depression, the default mode network can often be hyperactive what do you think about that totally i was i was just looking at that same note here on my screen mm -hmm. um yeah i that's something that kind of stuck in my head too from his talk and that's just something i've been thinking about you know totally seems right you know <laughs> yeah well how do you how do you think that that works well i guess from my own experience of going through mental illness including uh depression it seemed to be if, if if i look back in my notes you know like in my journal i was writing sporadically about my experience then and it all is like extremely self-referential it's all 
I this, I am that. Um, and that sort of entrenchedness in the one perspective of myself as this particular uh, entity that I am perceiving it as separate from the entirety of existence, that sort of self is like what is constructed by the default mode network. Yeah, yeah, and I think it also has has to do with the sense that you feel feel that your yourself is permanent and it can't change, and you're just kind of stuck with your tendencies and proclivities that you you've had since you were born. And, you know, you can you can of course you can change as a person, but some some things are going to stay with you your whole life, right? Right. Or you might feel that like you've reached a point of stagnancy where before there was change and now there isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then I think this ties directly into what Ted is saying later on about suffering and about how uh, it's the stories we tell ourselves about our experience that causes the suffering rather than the experiences themselves. Yeah. Yeah, because of course the experiences themselves are are transitory. You know, there's there's only the the present, and everything else is a is a memory or or you know a, a prediction. Yeah, and <laughs> and if you're if you're if you're dwelling on the past, then of course that's gonna it's gonna mess you up, right? If if you aren't if you aren't careful about mm-hmm. rumination that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, getting stuck in patterns of uh, you know self-pity or like what if things had been different Mm -hmm. yeah and of course you could you could see or imagine why those those kind of tendencies would have evolved because in our in the environment we've evolved in you know improving and not getting eaten by the tiger you know or it's if you you know if you if you're thinking all the time about how you saw a tiger in that one spot you know when you passed it a few days ago then then that's going to help you not get eaten by the tiger right yeah totally yeah so this is this is a an example that ted used that uh your like memory of things in the past is a really valuable tool if you're trying to survive in the sahara like you said like remember where the tiger is and like you know think about like oh what would have been different you know uh, maybe to avoid dangerous situations in the in the future, but that that at the same time is very contrary to our well-being. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it kind of has this very dysfunctional synergy with with the way our our lives work now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, what is really interesting to me because he talks about that state of being is essentially being in the past and the future and that the basically the antidote for that is to be in the present yeah yeah and to recognize that that's really the only like like i said that's really the only thing that that there is Uh uh-huh kind of i I mean you know (laughs) (laughs) crazy theories about time aside for from our experience the present is the only real thing right I also thought it was interesting what he was saying about being comfortable with not understanding things mm. and and not needing to make sense of things because sometimes you might just be better off accepting that things don't make sense. Yeah, and then often if you allow yourself to sit with that uncertainty, then eventually it'll come into a cleaner picture later on. Yeah, yeah. And then you can go even further and just try to abandon conceptual thought completely and 
and try to just see things and experiencing and experience things exactly as they are. Yeah. So I think this is kind of getting into what he was talking about with Zog Chen. Yeah. How's that? Uh, well, well, let, let's let's go into his breakdown. So he has uh, three different terms he refers to. There's the Sutra, the Tantra, and the Zog Chen. Um, mm-hmm. And so, first of all, the Sutra is rejecting the poison, and in this context, basically, the poison is the entire universe, right? It's the world. And so people following the sutra will go into isolation in their in their retreats and separate themselves from the world and from experience, right? Right. And so then the tantra is using that poison as a medicine, right? So just like engaging intentionally with certain parts of your experience just uh to improve your well-being yeah yeah kind of like i was saying earlier i think if you if you focus on the 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 bad feelings in the wrong way like anxiety or something if your if your anxiety is making you anxious then you're only gonna like if if your anxiety itself is making you anxious then it's only gonna compound you know but if you actually just kind of examine like accept it and examine it and see it just kind of as an object of of awareness as in as kind of a removed objective way as you can, then then you can come to know it better and deal with it better. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm really I'm really fascinated by this idea of the tantra because it ties so much into how I'm attempting to engage with nature. You know, going back to the notion that our society is a, a diseased way of living, I think a lot of that comes from being in a sterile environment where you have exposure to very few chemical compounds, you know, just like the two dozen things that you buy at the grocery store, and then everything else you clean your hands and wash and don't touch anything else, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I've been learning about how exposing yourself to a wider degree of compounds and uh, microbiomes uh, allows you to have a stronger immune system. Right, yeah, I think we've talked about that, that a bit. Yeah, and so I've been going on walks outside, and I've been tasting random plants, <laughs> which is a really, really interesting experience. Uh, the other day, I was walking at uh, at the pond, and there was this little flower out in the field. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That kind of looks like oxalis, which is, I, I know is edible. So I take a, a taste, and it doesn't taste anything like oxalis. So I'm thinking, I don't know what this thing is. And so I just decided, I'm just going to eat a flower. And I'm chewing on the flower. It kind of <laughs> tastes like bitter at first, and then it tastes like just like plain grass. And I keep walking. Mm-hmm. And in about three minutes... I have this physiological reaction where, like, I start to sweat on my face in particular. <laughs> and, like, I feel my face pinching inward and my eyes tear up. And I literally start, like, uh, tears coming down my face. And I get a little bit, like, dizzy even. And, and like, weak, weak limbed. <laughs> and just for, like, just a moment, just for, like, 30 seconds. And it totally passed. 
Wow. Did you did you look up what the flower was? I after I I tried. I, I haven't been able to find it yet, but I've got my fingers crossed that I will. I got to get that plant identifier app. Can you just like do you like take a picture of it? I did. Yes. Is it that fancy. But like, is the app? Yeah. The, is it? Yeah. There's a few. A there's a few apps that you just take a picture and it identifies them that work to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we totally have the technology for that now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, the, just all that to say that the idea of the Tantra is very compelling to me at the moment. Is that related to where the word uh, tantric? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, they seem, I mean, tantric just means, well, actually, probably has, I, I always just thought it meant like over a, over a long period. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's, a, uh, yeah, I guess they're neat. <laughs> so should we talk about Dzogchen? Yeah. So Dzogchen is kind of the culmination of like if Sutra is one pole and Tantra is kind of the middle ground, then Dzogchen is the other pole. It's the ingesting the whole poison, you know. Yeah. What do you think that means? So I would I would interpret that to be what we were talking about earlier with like people who have no filter no removedness from the world and they're just experiencing what they are Mm -hmm. and there's something very vulnerable to that you know you are engaging with the world with these stories that you're telling about the world and you can get hurt from them you know like it's not a release from suffering it's going all the way in you know yeah yeah th- that was a very different way than i'd ever heard Zogchen described before mm-hmm. i had I'd mostly deterred in relation to the, the illusion of the self and and the non-duality of consciousness and that kind of thing right he uses this example of the sky you know you look up at the sky and you know the clouds are always changing this you know, everything's different all the time but it's always a perfect sky Right, and it doesn't the the perfect blue sky represent consciousness? Well, I don't know about that. I think I I don't know if there's that level of of analysis to it. It's just saying that any form that the sky takes is a valid form of sky. You know? Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I thought I'd I thought I'd heard that exact same analogy, kind of in the same context, talking about how the the, the things that you're aware of in consciousness don't affect the consciousness itself. Like the blue sky is always there, even if there's clouds, right? You just can't see the blue sky. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that's a totally different interpretation of the same imagery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and find when they were they were mentioning that, because yeah, it, it, I guess it kind of went over my head that, that they were talking about a different a different thing than than I was I had pre- previously been exposed to. Yeah, and I mean, it's like everyone kind of has their own understanding of what this thing is you know it, it's the same thing it's, it's just stories we're, we're making about it mm-hmm. yeah they're all they're all just metaphors right they're they're imperfect mm-hmm. you know they, they're just the, the random forms of the clouds and they all mm-hmm. shed some light but they also uh obscure light mm-hmm. and so he goes on to talk about how the Chen is kind of like creating space around your sense of self mm. again that's that's not that wasn't my like previous understanding of it, but how 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 does he, how does he talk about that? Um, well, it's kind of like when he's talking about like waking up in the morning, and before your default mode network kicks in, there's just you are, 
and it's before even your sense of identity exists it's just perceiving and being aware and he's saying that if you practice Ogchen you can get to the point where you see your identity forming in front of you mm -hmm. and you know all, all of the things like I have to do this I have to do that to get ready for work mm -hmm. all of those things are going to do their thing but mm -hmm. can you remain in the state of just being aware and just let it do its thing yeah yeah I, I guess I guess I I misunderstood what you meant by space around your around your sense of self yeah I think kind, kind of kind of kind of an awareness that you have a self and that you are you're identical to it and it's not it's not permanent like he talks about ego and self being verbs rather than nouns right yeah Which I thought was really interesting yeah and we've talked about this before about how you have multiple selves different selves that you you kind of put on like like outfits when you're in in different situations mm -hmm. yeah it's just like whatever that culmination of experience that led to that particular moment in space time that's what yourself is and that's always going to be different from moment to moment mm -hmm. yeah it's totally a product a product of your environment yeah one thing i wanted to say uh going back to when we were talking about the default mode network and the uh, flip-flopping between the default mode network and the task positive network and you had said that like what if it's that uh that m interaction between the two that causes the consciousness and that each of the individual networks on their own couldn't necessarily be said to represent the consciousness right yeah i mean who, who the fuck knows but uh -huh. but that seems 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 at least plausible to me seems entirely plausible to me because i've had that same experience of consciousness while on psilocybin yeah was that when you took like the pretty low dose no this was a time it was a fairly large dose i mean uh, slightly larger than i don't know quote unquote average um it, it was enough to mess me up for a little while but uh, when I was coming down from that, I went over to my aunt and uncle's for dinner. I had, I had forgotten it was like family <laughs> dinner night when I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like most, mostly on the way down. The peak had definitely passed, but I was, I was still tripping. And mm -hmm. I was sitting there in the chair and there's, you know, my family members, chatting and talking to each other and interacting with each other and it seemed to me that I could see the consciousness erupting in waves and interestingly that the consciousness existed in the air in between the people it was the interaction between the people in which the consciousness was rooted and these individual networks of people were not the uh, truest source of consciousness. Huh, that's really interesting. I mean, you you definitely agree that if someone's isolated, they still have consciousness, right? Yeah, I mean, there's like there's always some consciousness, right? But it's it, it was it was like a very faint glow in comparison to the eruption of consciousness that was happening in between. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because because 
Ted was kind of talking about how how social interaction is is maybe what what creates our sense of self a lot of the time. But I, yeah, I don't think he, he ever really said anything about that creating our our consciousness itself. All right. He he didn't, he never said that in particular. But this this would be an abstraction building off of the idea of how the default mode network and the task positive network, their interaction generates consciousness. Maybe we mm-hmm. could even abstract that to say that when you have a self-contained network interacting with another self-contained network, that is a source of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And he kind of he kind of kicks off the whole podcast saying something almost along those lines, right? He just says you know, everything in our life, it all comes down to being about relationships, right? You know, he, he starts by saying, okay, I'm really good at like solving problems and being a really fucking smart, but what good is that? You know, it, 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 it's all about how you apply that to your relationships with other people, with the way you interact with the world. And that is where the true value comes from. Totally, totally. I mean, I think I, I do think I do think there are ways to have a a very meaningful existence, even if you were just isolated by yourself the whole time. Mm-hmm. If you, if you play your cards right, but but yeah, I think we're we're in this world with other people, and we need to our 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 meaning ultimately, or a large a large part of our meaning in life ultimately, I think has to be derived from from that, from helping people and having relationships and that kind of thing. Definitely, I see it the same way. So maybe we could talk about some of the the things they were talking about with relation to psychedelics sure so they were kind of talking about how how it's it's steroids for your mind basically like meditation <laughs> is exercising your mind and psychedelics are the are the steroids yeah totally and 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 he goes on to say like he's he's done steroids intentionally and that you know obviously you can fuck yourself up on steroids and it's like really really unhealthy ways to do that but he was saying that Mm -hmm. from his experience anyway that if you're smart about it if you do it in short quick bursts to you know get the the mileage and then you just stop and then uh, just keep going to the gym to maintain your growth that that that's like a healthy way to do it that's yeah that's interesting I, I've, I know very little about, about steroids or anything mm. like that. But that, that definitely tracks with the metaphor with psychedelics, because that's right in line with Terrence McKenna's perspective, right? Uh, remind me? Just that rather than doing drugs like as a habit, like marijuana, for example, he says, don't, don't smoke every day. Wait, wait for two weeks and then get really fucked up. <laughs> try, try to smoke too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think he also said that was way easier said than done. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I never really heard anyone say this before, but it rang very true, which is that if you take a, a low dose, a relatively low dose of psychedelics, you, it's very like, likely you'll end up in this kind of, psychoanalytic state where you're kind of thinking about your problems and maybe you know the direction your life is going and and your relationships and and it can be kind of very very difficult right mm. and that definitely that definitely tracks with i mean i i've had i've had really good experiences with with low doses but uh so sometimes it is you know you do you do get put into that space and you know if if you're not taking enough to, to you know kind of like forget that you even took anything and mm. and are just blasted into outer space which i don't i don't would you say you've you've done any 
have you done like a high enough dose that you just kind of forget that you're you're on a drug or that you know what's happening i've verged on that my my first acid trip uh while it wasn't quite like that i mean there there was a moment of of yeah no no yeah there was a moment at the peak where my entire existence was kind of like funneled down to this one internal experience of this like first it was just like this single spark that was all that I was experiencing that represented like a point of perception it was like a small smallest unit just saying I am and then that was like an eternity and then there was another eternity and then another where that thing just continued to persist and you know in each in each moment it could have not existed it seemed to me and that that it chose to exist was significant and then there was like a network of these points of perception and they built up and like created this symbiotic ecosystem to the point where eventually that snowballed into all of my consciousness and identity coming back into focus so there's definitely a moment of being blasted out um and following that there was definitely a sort of an existential crisis of like kind of forgetting that i'm on a drug well like knowing i'm on a drug but like forgetting that that's a, a temporary thing you know it's like, yeah. <laughs> do I know how to play the guitar anymore? Am I the same person that I was before I took the drug? Will I ever be the same? Will these things about myself ever be the same? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I definitely had an experience like that um, the first time I, I tripped. I, uh, I literally was asking people, like, who am I? <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've ever really had had that sense. Right. So he says that he thinks that it's valuable for basically anyone to have an experience of being blasted out of your own experience just so you know that it's there, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a gateway to to meditation and kind of spiritual practices for a lot of people who just you know who who kind of gave up on a religion or thought it didn't really have anything to offer and if you didn't it may be for a lot of those people if they didn't have the these these powerful drug experiences then they wouldn't they would never have realized that there was something really meaningful there yeah it also tracks for me though that a smaller dose is um it can be more meaningful than a larger dose I think we've talked about this before in our psychedelics episode where um, like, like what he's saying is like, it's harder, you know, it takes bravery to take a smaller dose and to face. And that's the key though, is it's not just to take the drug, but it's then to face what the drug shows you about yourself. And that rings so true to me that a, a smaller dose can be more meaningful because it doesn't blast you off your feet it ties everything back into your identity who you are your daily life 
but it flips it on its head and, and shows you from an entirely different angle. And then it asks you, what are you going to do about it? You know? Yeah. I also, I don't, I thought it, may, it might've been in this conversation, but I, I listened twice and I, I didn't catch it the second time, but I, you know, there's, there's the famous Alan Watts quote where he says, if, if you get the message, hang up the telephone. Yeah. And whoever I was listening to talk was like, well, how do you know you got the message? How do you, how do you know you got the whole message? You know, like, how can you, how can you be sure? Mm. That's really interesting. That uh, reminds me though of the video or the, the talk from Sam Harris of his uh, account of a, an acid trip that you recently sent me, or maybe it was psilocybin where he talks yeah, about was, like when you get blasted off your feet like that you are not going to be able to retain the whole message. Mm -hmm. like what you bring back is a shallow fragment of the vast world that you're blasted into. Yeah, yeah, because your memory can only capture so much and language just completely fails to describe. I'm sure, I mean, I've never had an experience like that. I mean, I think he took the, the heroic dose, five grams of, of <laughs> shrooms thing. And I think he did it completely blindfolded too. Right. Which is, which is crazy. But uh, yeah, yeah. From what I understand, words just don't do it justice. Mm. And it also, I mean, it can also just seem kind of like platitudes, like all there is is love, man. It's all love. Right. <laughs> love is Love is the driving force of the universe. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. It's like all all these things that seem meaningless because they're so just like plain and often repeated, but like maybe they're repeated because they're true, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what does it take to embrace those truths? Yeah, and to actually actually realize how significant they are, not just just conceptually, but to actually feel it believe it yeah i like what ted says about how uh you know it's just really hard to pull your head out of the scientific ass <laughs> yeah <laughs> i forget what what exactly he meant by that was, was it just that that science kind of gives us the illusion that we kind of know what's going on yeah, I think that's what he's getting at. It's like a perspective where it's like, oh, I know this. Yeah, you know? And when you feel like you know this, you close yourself off to the possibility of all of these other sources of meaning that uh, Ted asserts are equally as valid. Right, right. Not everything's going to have this clean mechanistic explanation to it. Totally. Yeah. I think we've talked about there are certainly some places where science, you know, just can't shed a light. Like we talked about this in the McKenna episode with intuition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is something people will criticize kind of about Western philosophy in general is that it, it, it kind of leaves out all those parts that you can't, you can't get to through, through logic or reason. Yeah. Yeah, science, that kind of thing. the uh, scientific head up the ass is saying that just because science can't explain it means that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the, th the thing is we know there, 
there are things that are real that we don't understand because we don't understand everything about the about the universe so there must be there must be things that (laughs) that don't seem real but they but they actually are yeah yeah so how, how do you feel about his philosophy that every story we say about the universe whether it's you know scientific or magical thinking or you like you know there's dwarves in the log and that's why you got your urinary in tract infection because you peed on the dwarves and that made them mad um <laughs> that that all of those modes of thinking are valid hmm i i don't know if i don't know if i agree with that mm. i mean well, did, he, did he give that exact example he did <laughs> i remember that um wow uh i mean I don't. I don't think you could say that any explanation is equally valid. Mm. Can you? What if it was just completely nonsensical? But then, isn't the world? <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, no. <laughs> but it is, on a certain sense. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. So, so this this is interesting. This is a place that I I kind of flip flop a bit because because he was saying you know his his example was like sure the magical thinking is as true as anything else however uh what do your beliefs uh how do they affect your wellness and if they cause you suffering then stop believing in them you know yeah although i I don't know if it's a good thing to deceive yourself if Mm -hmm. by kind of further examining what is actually true you can come to peace with it you know yeah i think you're right and and this is this is something interesting because i don't necessarily believe the same thing that ted does that um that the optimal mode of being is the reduction of suffering it it is it, it is a semantic thing it depends on your de- definition of suffering like if suffering is pain like we've talked about i think pain is necessary and valuable you know it's just information but if we're talking about like unnecessary prolonged unwellness then i think that uh there he's got a point there prolonged unwellness caused by what anything anything yeah what, what, what? I mean, like attitudes and stories you're telling yourself like the kind of stuff we've been talking about yeah yeah totally yeah because he was saying that the it's the stories you tell ourselves that mm-hmm. they cause the suffering yeah yeah i mean obviously there are there are levels of suffering that are just completely intolerable intolerable and you should you know try to try to change them if you can mm-hmm. Especially if, if you know they're they're affecting people around you. I think that's something else he said is is, you know, by by lessening your own suffering, you will you will ultimately less, lessen the suffering of those who are around you. Right. Well, well. What? Yeah. That was that was a cool thing he was saying that because there is no distinction between the self and the other, that if you reduce suffering in yourself, that also reduces suffering in the other because there is no other. It's all just you. Right, but but in a more practical sense, you will be you will act more kindly towards people, probably. Yeah, and it, that is true, and I feel like that's 
kind of the side effect, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also if if you recognize that you you know, you, you don't get to choose when you have bad days or, or good days. You can recognize that other people are in the same position and that they, you know, a lot of times they can't help themselves and, and, you know, they're, they're suffering maybe just as much as, as you are. And, mm. and so you should, you know, you should be more understanding. I'm all, I'm all on board. I totally, totally agree with that. Although I, um, I bridle a little bit about the language. You should be this way. Because it's like, who who's to say what you should be, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's maybe a good point. But, yeah, I totally, totally see what you're saying there. That compassion, that's something that I strive for every day, especially when I'm, like, fuming about someone who was like disrespectful to me or uh or who mistreated me in some way and it's just like i know they're wrong i know they're being a monster i know that they're not being fair like that that's like sub objectively true i've ref referred to other people and everyone else says that they're being crazy and it's not me and it's, but then it's like how can I have compassion for this person? Like what, what pain must they be carrying around with them all the time in order for them to be doing this to me? Yeah. Yeah. You, you have no idea. So we've, uh, we've covered psychedelics. We've covered consciousness. Uh, we briefly mentioned AI. Uh, so I think that leaves us just one more poll. And uh, Ted asks a question. He says, do you have to be alive to be conscious? <laughs> here, here we are. Here it is. I got my mug right here. <laughs> yes. could, you, uh, could you read for the, for the crowd what it says on your, on your oh, mug, Trevor? Yeah. So it says, uh, if panpsychism is true... <laughs> <laughs> if panpsychism is true yeah yeah i i think so i mean panpsychism for people who don't know is basically the idea that consciousness exists in all matter down to the the scale of like electrons or quarks or or you know subatomic particles mm -hmm. and i i think i mean i think it's possible there's there's not really a way to disprove it or prove it as far as we know but i think it's jumping to conclusions because obviously the brain and nervous systems are very very unique things and very specialized and from what we can tell they seem to have a lot to do with consciousness so i think it's kind of mm -hmm. jumping to conclusions that because we don't yet understand this very complicated like the most complicated object in the universe basically that we know about that it consciousness must be just at the subatomic level mm. and exists in all matter but you know you know what we should do is we should have an episode where we decide once and for all is panpsychism true? <laughs> but but what would be the fun in that? <laughs> true, true, true. We should do. It would be it would be cool to do like an episode, whole episode on it. I mean, we've we've mentioned it so many times that we, you actually have a mug that says it on it. So <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> think think it, think it's about time we we do that. Yeah. 
You could take the, if even if you don't believe that it's in all fundamental particles, it is, it is kind of all we know for sure. Like all we know for sure is that something is happening and we could be, you know, brains and vats or in a, in a simulation or whatever, but consciousness itself has to exist. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's some, some people will say it's an illusion, which I think is just kind of an incoherent thing to say, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Although the, the way that Ted frames that I think was really valuable that illusion doesn't mean that it's not there, but it seems to be, it just means that it isn't what it seems to be. Mm-hmm. I could see, I could see that being true. Yeah. And he's talking about it. Like you were saying specifically that it's not a noun, that it's a verb. It's a, you're selfing. You're not a self. You are selfing in every single instant. There he was talking about the ego or the self, not not consciousness. He goes on uh, I think when he's talking about consciousness as well. You are conscious. You're being conscious. Yeah, you are consciousing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was saying about trying to observe the nature of consciousness when you're just on a walk, because that's actually something I do a lot. I'm, I've been pretty bad about meditating recently, but every time I, pretty much every time I go for a walk, at least it a couple points and sometimes like throughout the the walk or like a big part of it i i try to just completely pay attention to all my bodily sensations uh completely and just you know sights and sounds i, I have this kind of mantra I, I repeat to myself sometimes which is just sound sight sensation mm. i try to just repeat those words in my head and just just focus on those things and i think i think there's a he talked about an interesting layer too which is is if you just you know if you're watching the ground in front of you you can start to feel that the the ground is moving you're not moving mm-hmm. right yeah yeah he also talks about this 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 other concept i think about a lot which is which i think i heard about through through sam harris but if if you pay attention to it the the things you see and the things you hear actually don't have, have any distance to them they're just they're just appearing right yeah the the distance is, is something your brain has learned to do with triangulating spaces and distances and but if you just try to pay attention to exactly what you're seeing it's just you know it's patterns of color and that's that's actually all all it is yeah totally that's yeah, all all these different fragments of perspective of experience and they all sort of knit together to create an image of of you know our story what we tell ourselves how how we experience ourselves yeah yeah and kind of along with that if you if you close your eyes or maybe even with your eyes open you can start to feel your body your body's shape kind of start to disintegrate and you can notice that you're just kind of a cloud of sensation Mm. and that was that was a thing i don't think i ever really experienced until i think it was it was only after i had done psychedelics and i i started meditating i think like a year or two kind of after those experiences and it w- wouldn't happen all the time, definitely. But sometimes, and even sometimes when I'm just like trying to fall asleep, I would get these crazy feelings that my body was just changing in scale, you know, with my eyes closed. Like uh-huh. I could be like a mile across yeah. or I could be, you know, <laughs> the size of a, of a toothpick or whatever. Uh-huh. And cause you, you have no way to tell with your eyes closed, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Or do you ever get that thing where you're like drifting off in bed and you're like, my head is facing the bottom of my bed and or the top of my bed. I've never gotten that. <laughs> I get that all the time. 
You're in a super position of <laughs> spin up or spin down. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> do we do we have anything else to say on the dead Ted Achikoso talk? Yeah, I think that was pretty good. I had cool. Well, we sort of uh, trailed off at the end there. I hope if if you're still with us, you like a little rambling. Yeah. It's uh, I guess kind of what we're what we're about here. Yeah. Just having fun. I don't know. It, it didn't seem. Oh well. I think you're right then. I think that's part of why people listen to podcasts. You know, you don't want too too much rambly stuff. But you know. Join us next time. I'm Postwave. <laughs> <laughs>